Welcome to another episode of the Good Listening To podcast with me, Chris Grimes. A GLT with me, CG, which is a slippery slope to a G&T with me, CG. And we're recording, please. No, okay. And we're recording. So greetings and welcome, please, ladies and gentlemen. A man I've grown extremely fond of, particularly during the pandemic, partly because we share a love of tennis and we will talk about that. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the clearing Trevor Carter, otherwise known as the Poet Laureate of BS3. He is the Bard of Windmill Hill. You are extremely welcome, sir. Welcome, Sir Trev. So, how's morale? How's the world of Sir Trev today? It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Lovely. Thank so, um, and what's your story of the moment? I don't. You don't have to sort of regale me with a, a tale, but what's been going on for you? Um, well, uh, it's been entirely kind of. I'm waiting for a hospital appointment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <all good>. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's depressing. Yes. Okay, and I hope you get that appointment soon. I've been waiting a long time. I talked, to, I talked to a real person a few days ago and said that someone was going to call me today with some information. And uh, someone did call me and said, well, I don't have any information myself, but someone else will call you today with an actual date for this thing which you are. Okay. So, managed so uh, yeah. you managed to speak to an actual person, but the actual person rung you up and said, I'm not actually the person you actually need to speak to. <laughs> you got the gist of it. Yeah, yeah. Lovely. So you are the Bard of Windmill Hill. Uh, you and, also and the Latin Quarter of St Albans, and the Whatty Woo were of the Ware War, and, and the and the Latin Quarter of St Albans, the Poet Laureate of the of the Latin Quarter of St Albans. Get you and Windmill Hill. So you're straddling two sort of civic boundaries. Yeah, entirely disparate. And. Just while I'm blowing smoke at you, you were Bristol Storyteller of the Year 2014. Yes, a while ago now. For a story called Meeting Mr. Hogg. Yes. but And you had the joy of meeting Mr. Grimes, me, through tennis at Victoria Park Tennis Club. <laughs> and ever since then, I've, I've grown very fond of you, Trev, and I call you Sir Trev. And, and in fact, whenever you ring up, I always say, greetings, Sir Trev, as you've probably gathered. Very touching, very touching. But I'm very happy to have you here. So welcome to the clearing. So let's get stuck in in that case. So um, let's just talk about the lovely metaphors or storytelling archetypes we're going to explore along the way. What is a clearing like for Sir Trevor, the Bard of Windmill Hill? A clearing, a place to, I've interpreted it as a, as a place to, uh, um, of clearing my head and moving on, moving on from, from past um, stuff, really, that that is yeah, perhaps being a little bit um, inhibiting and, and less than useful. <clears throat> so I, I've interpreted it in that way, and my clearing is a geographical clearing. Talk us through it. So, and it's located. There's a little. There's a kind of small peak in the Lake District. It's called Castle Crag, and and Castle Crank, did you say? Castle Crank. <coughs> crank. 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 And um, we, I went there with my sister uh, 
quite a few years ago now to to scatter the ashes of our mother if we okay. thought we would leave her on the top of a mountain and because this mountain had a significance for her in that uh, it was a mountain that we climbed uh, as a, as a, as a, as children, myself and my brother and her. Wow! So it's a particular crag in the Lake District where you have returned many, many times, and then that very epic time. I mean, was it when was the last time you went there? Was it the time of scattering your mother's ashes? Yes, I yeah, I haven't been back there since then. Yeah. And I love the fact that that's like a sort of echo location point for you to get back to as a sort of GPS to go back to where your mother's ashes are. Yeah, yes, I haven't I haven't returned there, but we we thought that it would be a good place to leave her. Yeah. And now we return to the clearing and, and how, how prevalent or present does your mother yes. feel in that location? Oh, I think it'll suit her very well. Um because uh, she can, she can kind of, she can look down on Lake Derwent water, and we, and we, one thing we've had in common is um, we've all loved the Lake District, and my sister lives in the Lake District now, yeah. has been for some time, and I'm, I'm deeply fond of it myself, and, and uh, visit it most years. Yeah. A question that's occurring. So that, so that, that is my, my hearing. Lovely. Just one other question about that. Um, yes. Have you, is that, I have to ask because it, it's occurred to me, but it, do, do you think that that might be a place where you too might get scattered? Is it, is it that sort of place where it's that special? Uh, I, I vehemently don't want to be uh, uh, left with my mother. No, I want to be somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I asked, actually. And, and, and by the way, you are a funeral celebrant as well, which is something else we, you may or may not be telling us about in what we're about to uh, unpack. Yes, I was uh, intending to mention that. And the, the, my mother's funeral, well, I think I mentioned to you, I, I, uh, it was particularly memorable because the, um, the vicar was late. The vicar who we had booked, we booked to see the vicar in deference to her wishes and um, this particular vicar just do it yeah we all, we all got there and everybody's where's the vicar not present um and so that's of course quite a lot of consternation really uh, would. We, we started without her and then we were just we just made a start and then she turned up rather breathlessly and and um saying, oh, there's been some miscommunication, which was a load of bollocks because <laughs> just clearly forgotten the time. Yes. And was that the first time you stepped up to the plate as a funeral celebrant to just fill in for time whilst the other celebrant wasn't there? Yes. Yes, I guess it was. So, and, and partly that's what uh, motivated me to, to become a funeral celebrant. And my, I wrote something which was quite controversial. Some people thought it was very good. A few people thought it was terrible because it was kind of disrespectful towards my mother. Um, and uh, anyway, I, I made this little uh, kind of speech about about her and about uh, well, it, it's kind of about our, our whole dynamic really, and it, it, it's kind of relating to a clearing in terms of clearing and clearing and moving on um, in as far as one can. Yes. Uh, 
Do you, would you like to hear that? Well, yes, if you like. Although, if you want to wait until you're in the clearing to do that, I mean, it, it, the choice is yours. We can go where you like. Right. Because it's kind of, um, well, you know, it kind of leads into this thing, place of where I'm coming from, um, psychologically and emotionally and all that sort of stuff, really. So I think uh, it's quite it's quite short. Um, it's called Now It All Has Passed. And the sound is occasionally a bit weak. Just say again what it's called. Now It All Has Passed. Lovely. So it, it, take to the open road. Now It All Has Passed. Off you go. I mourn for the love that wasn't, not for the love that's lost. It wasn't as it should have been. And who knows what that cost. It's not for the things that were not said. Some things are best left so. It's for the way it was instead of love I wished could flow. Fond memories, well, maybe some, silver linings and the like. But emptiness can leave you numb, it cannot be but right. And cannot be but what it was, for that was how we were. And nothing can change that because the chance cannot recur. And neither guilt nor anger now should I let take a hold. The wheel of the wheel of life moves on somehow to let the truth be told. O spirit of eternal child who brought me to this place, you who forsook the meek and mild for your sublime disgrace. Rest easy now, your journey's done. Your mould can't be recast. I'd say you had your chance of fun, but now it all has passed. Beautiful. So the Bard of Windmill Hill there, this is you speaking at your own mother's funeral. And how many years ago was this? It's kind of a bit of an address to her, I guess. Um, yes. And, I, and I, I guess the, the rather shocking line is, you who forsook the meek and mild for your sublime disgrace. Very Shakespearean Which in terms of its depth, as in, woo, food yes, for thought. Sublime disgrace is quite a, yeah, controversial way of uh, looking at one's parent, I guess. Sublime disgrace. I mean, do you want to tell us a bit more about that? I mean, you don't have to go into why your mum might have been a sublime <laughs> disgrace, but but in terms of the... Yeah, we, don't, we don't want to dig too much in that. But, well, let's say she was a very much... A, she was a very uh, free-spirited person. Wasn't uh, or was? Yeah, well, was a very free-spirited yeah. sort of person. Uh, in, in her heart, very adventurous uh, for her... For her age, and I mean, for her age, and, and ahead of her time, in in, in some ways, uh, a very liberal outlook. I mean, she had a. She told me that she had a boyfriend who was um, who was Indian, and this was like, you know, in the forties uh, or something. Yeah. Uh, so quite you know, she, she was. Uh, in some in some ways very very liberal so your mother your father wasn't around then obviously if she then told you she had a in the 1940s no, he, he, he died some time earlier yeah for sure but anyway in a, in a nutshell i mean she she was uh she was an in, an unusual person i guess 
uh, but but very much about very much concerned with herself, I guess, to be honest. And and that could be quite outrageous and and uh, well, really very selfish. And, and therein shocking. lies the sublime disgrace, if you like, the idea of narcissism. Quite shocking, yeah. So yeah. hence the sublime disgrace. Yeah. Lovely. Uh, to qualify that, I mean. So um, let's let's just bring you into the clearing then, and let's start going through the storytelling uh, archetypes sure, as we sure. present them. So, yeah. your clearing we've agreed is the the crag in the Lake District, and yeah. um, within the clearing is a tree where we're going to invite you now to shake your tree to see which storytelling apples fall out. And as we know, it's the five, four, three, two, one. You've had five minutes to prepare four things that have shaped you, Sir Trevor, the Bard of Windmill Hill, three things that inspire you. Two things that never fail to grab your attention and then one quirky or unusual fact about you, uh, again, Sir Trev, that we couldn't possibly right. know until you tell us. So uh, over to you. What would you like to, which apple would you like to talk about first? Uh, shall we go for the storytelling? Yes, however you'd like to interpret. Is, is, so one of the apples is about storytelling, you mean? Or Okay, so is this um, four things that have shaped me to do with storytelling? Uh, yes, if that's what they are, go for it. Okay. Um, well, I'd say um, <clears throat> one thing that's shaped is listening to other storytellers, and such as one of my favourite storytellers is Simon Sharma, who's a historian. He is, yes. And um, of course, he does a lot of television. I I think he's he's not really at his best on television, although he's done a lot of television. Um, I think he's actually he's a great writer. I love his style of history. It's very much from a, a storytelling perspective rather than a list of dates. And he, he jumps around quite a lot. Um, I've read his entire history of of Britain in three volumes. Which okay. Is <laughs> that big. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I researched you before we spoke, you know, beyond what I know about you and what you're really passionate about. And, and there was a lovely article about you being the poet laureate of BS3, which is the sort of postcode we're in, where you have a passion for um, translating weighty history books into just a few pages. You like to condense history. Yes. <laughs> yeah. For people who don't have the time to read massive books. <laughs> so you've read Simon Sharma, so we don't have to. So you've read the three, you know, the History of Britain trilogy. So then yeah. you can deliver it bish, bash, bosh. In yeah. Here we are today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In a very succinct and uh, comprehensible form, yeah. Not the Simon Sharma isn't, but it's very, he's a, he's a great storyteller. So, um, yeah, other storytellers. Uh, um, but the interesting thing about him, I went to see him once at... Uh, St George's Hall in Bristol. Yeah, and it was a lunchtime gig. Um, the gig might sound a bit strange in the context of a historian, but it was a, it was like a gig. It was like a rock concert. Okay. And he bounded around the stage and entertained for an hour entirely without notes, and he was answering questions and 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 speaking. And at one point, actually moving around the state, and really getting into his subject, and, and people were shouting, "Yeah, oh, was oh. like a history historical rock star. He was. It was the atmosphere was almost like a rock concert. Really, really, really electric. It's, I think it, 
I don't know what he had for breakfast that day. But, he was really... <laughs> but you want a slice of that for your own breakfast. <laughs> he was really firing. You know, so you like him on stage bounding around, but you're not such a big advocate for what he does on, on TV by the sound of it. Well, it's good. Yeah, the TV, I don't think it's his best format, in fact. Yeah. But the rock, but, uh, the rock star gig was good, was it? Uh, that was very memorable. Yeah. yeah. Extraordinary, extraordinarily dynamic. For his thought, for his story, you know, it's, it's this old-fashioned image of history as being uh, very uh, staid and positive. Yeah. Staid, blah, 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 blah. So, in terms of shaping it you, then, is, it all alive, you know? is it his, the stories of history that that inspire you the most? Then, that have shaped you. Is that what you're saying? Um, <clears throat> yes, I mean, much more modern history because that is my uh, subject. I mean, that's what I did. That's what I studied at university. Was um, my degree is in history and politics. And as I understood it, you got student of the year at UWE as well, didn't you, when you did graduate? Oh, I have done some research. I have. <laughs> I don't just turn up willy-nilly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, because I can I can say, well, yes, I've, I've had a few storytelling prizes and one was being storyteller of the year at UWE because history is storytelling. It is. That is the original storytelling, of course. What's happened in the past? You're telling the stories. So I was there. My first prize wasn't, in fact, being storyteller of the year in 2014, which which actually was a that was a a um, performance based. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's all about performance, and most of the other, I think, most and probably all of the other contestants um, weren't writers. Right. They are people who, um, who well, yeah. It's this there's this tradition of the folklorist storyteller yeah. who gathers stories and and re they they, they may be uh, jazz it up a bit or put a few slip a few jokes in, put their own spin on it, but essentially they are traditional stories and they're gatherers of stories rather than writers. But of course, my Sort of chroniclers of time. Different thing is, I mean, yeah, all my, all my materials entirely original. You know? So in that sense, you know, because people when when I say storyteller and, and I'm talking to festival organisers, for example, um, it's a little bit of a of a mixed blessing to say, oh, I storyteller, yeah, because then they think I'm a children's entertainer, which oh, I okay. have done, and I've, I've done a lot of work in schools and had a wonderful time in schools. Um, but I wouldn't say it's my uh, first thing, really. Re- really, I, I'm uh, more of my material is geared to adults than to children. And, and by the way, the sort of by, by using the term storyteller, they immediately yeah. lock me into that niche, you know, which isn't. And by the way, I had a great enjoyment of my own. I mean, I studied history as well, but not to degree level. But my own love of history came about because I had a really good history teacher who would tell us the more comic or lateral facts that then made them more memorable. And I remember he was called Mr. Waring and we rather wittily would call him Mr. Intensely. See what we did there. But uh, he he, he used to teach facts which are a precursor to the horrible histories now, which I'm sure you might like as a a children's way of sorry, children's program to make history more accessible but but mr waring was i remember a particular memorable fact where he told us that louis philippe of france was the first person to have uh, an inflatable cushion for his hemorrhoids (laughs) 
<laughs> and I found that very memorable. So Louis Philippe had Louis Philippe of France had piles. <laughs> so well, so story. So going back to the to, to what's inspired you, it's definitely a love of history is a complete thread for you, a golden thread through what what I suppose it grabs your attention as well. Yeah, that has been a lifelong interest and passion. Sure, thought. And still in the shaking the apple tree. Anything else you want to tell us that's inspired you, or has shaped you? Um, so that which has inspired me. Um, so we've got storytellers. Um, well, great speakers. Yeah. Um, and. I'm thinking of like if I was asked the question, which is the best, uh, the most memorable uh, spoken word event yeah. that I've ever attended, I'd say it's the um, it's going to see uh, Harry Belafonte. Wow! At St George's, and it was a something I will always remember. And St George's is a very iconic Bristol venue for music often, isn't it? But you're talking about two historical rock star events here. Yeah, yeah. Harry Belafonte and Simon Sharma. Yeah, but of course, Harry Belafonte, it's it's like when I I said to my wife, oh, I said, I was looking at this thing and I said, oh, Harry Belafonte's coming, coming to St George's. So Harry Belafonte says, what do you want to go and see? He just sang a few pop songs in the 60s. (laughs) Most people think that was all he did, whereas in fact, you know, he he was at the centre of or of the civil rights movement. He bankrolled the civil rights movement. Okay. He his his endorsement had a lot to do with Kennedy winning the the election. Kennedy Kennedy becoming he's he's steeped in history and was influential in in the history of the city. So you're encouraging us to look deeper into the the true story of Harry Belafonte, which is quite a nice hook for people if you want to find out more. Yeah, I mean, he made a lot of money. Um, and famously, he produced the world's first uh, million-selling record. Sorry, that, the sound went then. The sound went then. He produced the world's first what? Million-selling record. Oh, OK. Harry Belafonte. And for an extra million points, no cash attached, what was the name of the record, please? The Banana Boat Song. <laughs> Thank you very much. You've won. The, there's no cash, but but million points in the bank. Um, I'm sure you recognise that. The Banana Song. The banana. Till I come and be one go home. That's Harry Belafonte, is it? You know that one? I, I yeah. do. I do, I do. My phone's sort of vibrating. Oh, no. Go. Hang on a second. The, the quirks of Zoom decline thanks very much that's my good friend stephanie weston i've declined her live on zoom on <laughs> live on the broadcast i said i can't speak now but she doesn't know so um by the way talking of oratorial excellence um yeah. which we're, we're enjoying your your love of that um my favorite trilogy about cicero is a robert harris series which are all about um uh, you know it, the story of cicero through the eyes of tiro his uh sort of Manservant. You, have you read the books by Robert Harris? Uh, no. Well, I, I you've recommended Harry Belafonte, and I'm going to recommend the Robert Harris trilogy about Cicero right back at you. Mm. 
food for thought. So now we're still in, we're still shaking your tree. I'm sorry if we've got a bit lost in the bushes, <laughs> but uh, we've talked about uh, we're beginning to talk about things that inspire and shape you. Anything else you want to shake out of that tree? Uh, well, I'm thinking about great um, speakers and, and great. Uh, so yeah, there's kind of storytellers, but there's also inspiring leaders. And um, this is. <clears throat> Would you like to hear a short elegy? Oh, yes. I mean, no, of course. Yes, I, I have. Like, I like writing elegies. Anyway, this is an elegy for Mandela, um, who I never got to see, but I'm sure he was a great, inspiring speaker. I was at uh, uh, the live. I was at one of the concerts. Sorry to interrupt you. I, I saw Nelson Mandela live. I was at the um, the Wembley concert about the freeing of apartheid, and I, I was I saw him walk on stage and heard his first utterances which was just electrifying yes because the world was waiting to find out the world was waiting to see harry belafonte it was remarkable because uh, everybody stood up and applauded as he came into the hall so he had a standing ovation when he arrived and the the guy the festival ideas guy uh, was who's interviewing he's a very good interviewer um and he, he put the first question to him. Everybody sat down. Here's the first question. He put this first question. Then there was complete silence. You could hear a pin drop. And uh, it went on for so long. I thought, shit, I, you know, is he still with us? As he, <laughs> As he heard what he said. <laughs> but, but he did take quite a long time. To, but when when it comes out, it's great. You know, I mean, so he was using, using a, silence well. Very old now. Yes, um, using, he was using silence very well by the sound of it. Yes, yes. Um, but great, he said it was very, very interesting. So when, you, when you've teased us with you're going to read a, 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 a eulogy about Mandela. Yeah, I, yeah. So how, how, long, how long are we talking to read the eulogy of Mandela? An elegy, it's about, it's about 20 lines, I think. 20 lines, yeah, 20 lines. And this is absolutely your moment to Because, you know, people get... People get very cynical about politicians, and and I always um, kind of say, well, no, actually, you know, people have this idea where they get the, go into it for what they can get out of it. I feel well, no, it's actually not the case. Most, a lot of politics, well, certainly, probably in this country, you know, a lot of them make more money out, could make more money outside of politics, but you know, there are not everybody goes in it because it's you know what they can get out i mean of course mandela is, is a shining example of that so you're about to read an uh, elegy to simon to, to nelson mandela hmm. <laughs> i don't know who simon mandela is <laughs> so elegy to nelson mandela and who wrote it well it's yeah it's my my elegy too. ah yeah. okay so trev the bard of wimmerhill is about to now do the elegy to nelson mandela take it away he broke the law because it was bad law Nelson understood what his life was for, to confront the rule of the white man's gun. Now we won't see the likes of him anymore. He didn't count the cost, but he kept the score. He didn't care what the enemy had in store when breaking rocks in the African sun. He kept his eyes on the long-term prize and later forgave them for what they'd done. We won't see the likes of him anymore. Most 
most of us don't know what our lives are for, but Mandela knew what he'd come to do. He opposed the injustice that he saw as he believed that change was overdue. We won't see the likes of him anymore. We won't see or fear him anymore. And a nation mourns for its heart is raw from the Cape Town flats to the great Peru. Mandela knew what we have come here for. And there won't be men like him anymore. Lovely, very beautifully positioned. And, you know, he had such grace and depth of forgiveness that uh, I think the world yes. will never forget, actually. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Okay, yeah. so um, in Shaking the Tree, to assist, anything else you want to tell us about what grabs your attention now? What never fails to grab your attention, Trevor? Um, something that is spontaneously wonderful such as music uh, live music which which i'm not expecting and um i was at the uh, butterfield festival a few years ago the butterfield butterfield yeah it's a very um that wasn't a way you weren't saying huddersfield there were you talking about buddha buddha Buddha, not 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 or, or bugger, bugger, Buggersfield. Sorry, we're making up new festivals here, so sorry about that. Not Buggersfield or or Huddersfield. It's the Buddha's Field. Buddha, Buddha's Field, yeah. Yeah. Very quirky sort of festival. Um, is it a lot of sort of fat Buddhas in a field, or is it Butters Field? I still got a bit confused. No, it's. Um, what did I say there's loads of there's loads of healers there. So it is Buddha, as in the god. You yes, know, the, yes, yeah. yes. An awful lot of healers and quite a lot of nudists. Nudists. So a lot of flopping about the field. A lot of naked people wandering around. And this is. Yeah. I mean, and, gosh, you were there, were you? <laughs> yeah. Were you one of the naked ones, or were you? A, what, I, I, I didn't. I, I know. No. No, <laughs> I didn't join you, in. You've time. conjured up all sorts of images that I can't quite dispel of now, so I'm really sorry. <laughs> so, anyway, back to the field where you're you're not naked, just to be clear. No, I was wandering around one evening uh, to see what was going on, and there was this uh, kind of smallish marquee with <clears throat> sound emanating from it, and a clutch of people out, outside of it. They're obviously kind of interested, but. Uh, couldn't couldn't get in because it was it was packed. This, this little marquee, and I went in there, and there was just this this guy who was playing. He had this most extraordinary instrument that was like a massive didgeridoo thing. It must have been about fifteen feet long, <laughs> I think. Um, so the comedian me is going to because it's a nudist field, and someone's got this extraordinary instrument. <laughs> Everyone was clothed. This is in the evening. <laughs> They, they they had a sort of particular compound where you could where where um, you could go and I think that was compulsorily you had to be you had to be naked to go in there. Um, but the rest of the festival wasn't. Although there were there were sometimes naked people just wandering around the rest of the festival. And do you remember that joke? Sorry, just there, there is a joke about the most fav the, the the favorite person at the nudist festival is the one who can carry. Two coffees and six donuts at the same time. 
<laughs> well, that's an extraordinary instrument right there. So anyway, back to your didgeridoo. <laughs> yeah, it, anyway, he's played, he had more than, he had this enormous, enormous didgeridoo thing. <laughs> and it was also, he had this combination of the, his didgeridoo and a violin. And he seemed to be playing them both kind of intermittently. Whilst holding two hot coffees and six donuts. Very unusual combination. And the yes. whole, the whole and it was all sort of candlelit and the, the lighting was beautiful. And he was making music such as I've never heard anything quite like it. And everybody was completely mesmerized by him. And I bought one of his CDs. I thought this is just extraordinary stuff. I think nearly everyone there bought one of his CDs. And you still is it and I just came across it completely, you know, just that's one of the great things about festivals. You can find one experience like that. You just you just discover something that you've never yes. heard of and it's totally fascinating. And that's magical. If you play the C D to this day, does it evoke the same sense of atmosphere or was it very sort of context specific? This is brilliant now in this moment of magic. Or uh, so does it does it does it last if you were to whack on the CD? Yes, yes. I would say my, uh, and I do play it um, quite a bit. And then oh, for heaven's the, sake. <laughs> Sorry. But yeah, my listening to it is always somewhat enriched by, you know, this little part that can go back to that experience of, of where I first heard him. You know. Yeah. Lovely. So just the, the ch chance, spontaneous experiences like wandering into a mystical tent with a didgeridoo and a violinist. Yes. Never yes. fails to grab your attention. So it's so a good luck finding that again to, to get your attention. <laughs> and anything, well, anything else? that's surprising that, that yes. I haven't heard of before, you know. Yes. Yeah. Something like that. I myself am quite surprising in the number of times I can now beat you at tennis, which is lovely. <laughs> so I'm only doing it for your enjoyment, obviously. Um, so uh, where are we now? So uh, what about a quirky or unusual fact about you that we couldn't possibly know until you tell us, Sir Trev? Uh, one, one of the lesser known facts, uh, and a lesser known plain claim. <clears throat> there are some that are quite well known. Uh, I'm the only teacher who has taught bricklaying and childcare. Bricklaying and what? Childcare. Bricklaying and childcare? Yes, and I've been, I've been a, a, a teacher and assessor and NVQ assessor for both of those dif different occupations. So you're sort of laying children. No, I'm, I'm going dark there. You're not laying children as bricks in a wall. You, you, it, this is two. You're, you're you're taking care of children and teaching them bricklaying. Uh, no, that I, I have done some bricklaying for for groups that uh, with um, they could they described as uh, emotional, emotionally and behaviorally challenging, whatever the term was, I can't quite remember now. I know the uh, term has changed and evolved over time. Yeah, they, they keep changing the term. So, yeah. But, but troubled children were then, the troubled individuals are given the sort of, the, the, I suppose, the therapeutic arm's length conduit of bricklaying with Sir Trev at the front of the class. Yeah, used to on the bricks EBDs, and mortar. I think. Yeah, EBD, emotionally and behaviourally behaviorally disturbed. So, yeah, I think that was it. 
so good uh, so and you've taught them bricklaying is what you're saying uh yes yes no no but that was that's not what i'm saying i'm saying <laughs> i i worked in childcare for seven years and worked as an assessor a, tra a, a trainer and assessor for people working in that industry i okay. was i was the training manager and assessor and i've also uh, trained and assessed bricklayers. Go you. So you're very fussy about the state of the walls in this country then. <laughs> state of the walls of the land. Yes, I'm just saying it's, it's a very, I'm probably the only teacher who's operated in those two totally unrelated. Um, I'll be watching you now to hear you tutting as we walk towards the tennis court. <laughs> you're tutting at the state of the wall that we've passed, as in that wouldn't have passed. <laughs> so yeah. let's now assume your she is, your tree is well and truly shaken Sir Trev and we're going to talk about alchemy and gold now in the clearing so okay. when you are at purpose and in flow what is it that you most enjoy bringing or doing um most enjoy most enjoy bringing um brilliance really um and surprise and humor and I like things, I like to be thought provoking. I did a, one show I did, I overheard someone in the audience say afterwards, that was more, there's more uh, food for thought than that, I could cope with in that. <laughs> so you like it to sort of have a, an afterburn of sort of depth where yes. you think long uh, after in, in something that you've landed as a message? Yeah, not just, you know, but a few laughs at the time, you think, yeah, that was kind of fun, but something really, yeah, resonate and um, things to take away. So it's using language, poetry, storytelling to to leave a strong afterburn with people is is how I'm interpreting your alchemy and your gold. Yes. In being a thought provoker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, raising, raising questions. Raising questions more than offering answers. Very Well, it's kind of, it's a to do with the you know the teaching um using the socratic method trying to lead people to to question themselves to question lead, yes. lead lead people into different ways of looking at things rather than telling them about you know well this is this is how it should be you know just getting yes. which doesn't usually so rather than being didactic you describe it as being socratic yes yeah socratic approach yeah I think you really would like the Robert Harris trilogy about Cicero because it's just it's just beautiful about the, the history of rhetoric, I suppose. Oh, I'm very into that. I'm very into it. Yeah, rhetoric. Um, I, mean, I have I have studied rhetoric. Um, and here's a rhetoric. What if there were no what if there was no rhetoric, Trevor? It is a rhetorical <laughs> question. Do you see what I did there? It's, it's a, <laughs> Go figure. Well, it went it went very much out of fashion, and it was thought for quite a long time to be not that influential, you know, by people in academia and so on. But uh, there is always, um, yeah, I can't imagine how how a world would function without it. Can't imagine. And. So now what I'd like to do is award you with a bit of a cake for having done us the great courtesy of coming to talk to us 
and talk to me on the Good Listening To uh, podcast in the clearing. I'm going to award you with a cake now, uh, Sir Trevor, the Bard of Windmill Hill. And the cake is yours to interpret. There's a cherry you can put on the cake, which is open to interpretation as another metaphor. It's the best bit of advice that you'd like to impart. It could have been the best advice you've ever been given or notes to a younger self or it's open to interpretation. So what would you like? It could be an inspirational quote that you like to. So, so what would you like to leave us with? Um, yeah, the best, well, very succinct and not, not really original, but is to, to have faith and not take no for an answer to what I would have said to my younger self, which I guess uh, I didn't always do that in the past. Sometimes I took no for an answer in situations where I didn't have to, if I'd had more confidence when I was wouldn't have taken no for an answer. So have faith, and do you mean spiritual faith by that, or just have faith in one's own capability and ability? So just talk me through that. So it's have faith and don't take no for an answer. Wherever you, wherever you can derive some strength from, really. So if you have a religious, some religious or spiritual faith from which you can gain strength, then then fine. Or or really, but ultimately, faith in your own um, capacity, and that may or may or may not be reinforced by some religious or spiritual aspect. And, and there's sort of a bit of self-resource in there as well. It's the emergence of confidence over time to have faith in one's own capacity. Yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting that uh, not long after I started in teaching, someone asked me whether I could teach confidence. And I was quite thrown by that question. And uh, I think I didn't re- reply because I didn't know what to say in reply to it. But if someone ask me that now it's oh, oh yes i do teach i do, do teach confidence i have thought confidence. yeah i find that i relate to that very strongly because i too am often asked to help nudge people towards greater self-advocacy or confidence and i get into it by getting mm. people to have a a mindset of i am spartacus as opposed to am i spartacus do you mind if i'm spartacus it's just this idea of self-advocacy i am enough and i give myself position yes. permission yes. so um Anything else you'd like to leave us with, Sir Trev? Uh, well, it's been very nice having this conversation, uh, Chris. It has. Uh, a, and, and where can we find out more about you on the interweb? Well, there's stuff on my website. Wind- and what is the website? Windmillbard.co.uk. Windmillbard. And by the way, yeah. you're so called the Bard of Windmill Hill because there's an area in Bristol called windmill hill and you are the self-styled bard of windmill hill yes and and when do we normally get to whip out the bard of windmill hill what, what's the, the the arena in which you generally perform well i um i do a lot of festivals during the summer generally of course everything's on hold so i i haven't got in fact i have got one one show scheduled for next month. I'm going around to contacting. I, I'm imagining it's it's been cancelled. Um, and there are various festivals uh, that are all saying, "Well, just come back next year, really." But in Bristol, I've done. Um, I mean, we had a show scheduled for the Alma Tavern. I've done shows there, and that's a venue where really. Instant Wit, my company, perform as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
So but whether that's going to happen, it's probably very doubtful. Yeah. Whether it is, but I've done Christmas shows for that for a few years. Uh, but the main website then to find out more about you is the Windmill Bard. Is it the Windmill Bard? So just give us a real clear... Well, if you if you Google Bard of Windmill Hill, the, way, the website should come up anyway. So Google the Bard of Windmill Hill and up pops Sir Trevor. Windmillbard.co.uk And by the way, you've been absolutely, if I may just blow a bit of smoke out, you've been the complete saviour of my pandemic in that me and my son Stan, as you well know, have got very, very obsessed with tennis. And uh, you've been one of the main people that I've been having the great joy of if you'll pardon this particular expression, twonking my balls across the net. <laughs> and uh, over time, beginning to um, beat you a bit more often than you've beaten me, if I may say so. Yeah, 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 that is true. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, thank you for talking to me on the Good Listening To podcast. I've been Chris Grimes and this has been Sir Trevor, Trevor Carter, the Bard of Wimmer Hill. Thank you very much indeed and good night. You've been listening to the Good Listening To podcast with me, Chris Grimes. If you've enjoyed the programme, then please do subscribe on all the usual channels. There's also a dedicated Facebook group for the programme too, and I'm hosted on Buzzsprout. If you'd like to connect with me on LinkedIn, then please do, and then on Twitter and Instagram, at that Chris Grimes. Also, if you'd be interested in having some coaching from me to help you level up your confidence, your personal impact, or your brand, then contact me via email, chris at secondcurve.uk. So until next time, thank you for listening, and goodbye.